So it's good to be back with you all this week after I was gone last Sunday and all of the week after Easter. Uh, Last Sunday is what's known among pastors as Associate Pastor Sunday. And that, of course, is shorthand for the senior pastor is exhausted from Lent and Holy Week and Easter and they need a week off. So thank you to Cindy for filling in for me last week. It was nice to uh, take some time off to rest, to do some nesting and get settled into our house. Heather Heather and I got quite a bit done, uh, but there's still more to do. But it's good to be back with you all uh, this Sunday. Two weeks ago, we celebrated Easter, and that Sunday, along with Christmas, are two of the most important days in the entire church year, and they are both preceded by these seasons of expectation and and anticipation, and there's a, a lot of excitement and celebration when those days finally do arrive, and then what happens after both Christmas and Easter is that there's this settling back into normal life. The excitement is over and we start to come down from the emotional and spiritual high. And that's especially true after Easter, that spring and warmer weather usually happen after Easter, although that's not always a guarantee here in the upper Midwest, but usually that's what happens. And the school year starts winding down and we are looking forward to what we hope is a more normal summer than the one we experienced last year. Hopefully we'll have opportunities for travel, for Tigers baseball games, for eating at restaurants, for visiting family and friends, and all of those things that we missed over this past year. Well, not trying to dampen our excitement about all of those things, because we should be excited about all of that. I also think it's important that we remember that Easter isn't the end of the story. That I believe in keeping the Easter celebration going for as long as possible. That the day of celebration that Easter is shouldn't leave us thinking that it's one great day of excitement and that's, that's it. Because when Jesus walked out of the grave on the third day, it meant that something new began in our world. And as I said in my Easter message to you all, we are not limited by the categories of the past anymore. We are no longer bound to the assumptions of the old world and the old way that things were. Instead, we live with a sense of of possibility and hope for what is possible. We see the world not as it is, but we proclaim the world as it could and should be. As biblical scholar N.T. Wright says, the message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ, and now you're invited to belong to it. That we are invited to live as people who are filled with this sense of, of hope and possibility, that we are, in essence, Easter people. We are not people who only proclaim the world as it could and should be, but we are people who join the risen and living Jesus in creating that sort of world. Now, that doesn't mean that we deny the painful realities that exist all around us. We are not pie-in-the-sky optimists, but we are hopeful people. And hope and optimism are not the same thing. Optimism says simply that everything is just okay. But we know that for many, things are not okay. And so in the face of that brokenness, we are not optimists, but we are hopeful people. That because Jesus was raised from the dead, we believe that something else is possible for us and for the world. Hope says, I know that things might be difficult right now, but we believe so much else is possible. There's something better for our world, something better for ourselves. And we are committed to building that something up. 
I often uh, quote something from, it was attributed to both Desmond Tutu and Cornell West, so I'm not sure who it originates with. But the quote says, I cannot be an optimist, but I am a prisoner of hope. I cannot be an optimist, but I am a prisoner of hope. And Easter makes us all prisoners of hope. That we are bound and shaped by the hope and the possibilities that arrive to us because of Jesus' resurrection. So over the next five Sundays, we are going to explore together what it means to be Easter people. What it means to be people who live with an identity that is shaped by Jesus' resurrection. What does it mean to live with a sense of hope and possibility? Because the good news of Easter isn't simply about a life beyond death, but it's about the life that we live right here and right now. And so to explore that together, we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We're going to be using Ephesians as a guide through these conversations. We're not going to look at every single verse in the letter. There's not enough time to do that in five weeks. And we're not going to discuss every section either because some sections are better left for discussion in Bible study rather than me preaching on them from the pulpit. But we turn to Ephesians because it's an invitation to us to participate in the story of God's redemption and reconciliation in the world. To paraphrase one scholar, Paul in Ephesians is excited and filled with immense joy for the good news of redemption and recreation that began when Jesus was raised from the dead. A new world, God's new creation, dawned on the first day of the week when the women arrived at the tomb and they found not Jesus' body but the empty grave clothes and that hopeful message that Jesus was alive again. And so as we jump in today, we overhear Paul as he is praying with gratitude for the Ephesians and for us. And his prayer sweeps us up in this grand cosmic vision of a Christ who now rules and guides the world as its Lord. His prayer takes us out of our everyday circumstances and places us in the truth that we are part of a much larger story, that story of God's redemption and recreation. A couple of weeks ago, I came across this photo, as Jonathan and Sandy bring that up for me. It's a really famous photo, but I just discovered it for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Uh, This image was taken from NASA's Voyager 1 spacecraft and was taken on Valentine's Day 1990. Some of you might Remember this photo, some of you might be aware of this photo, but I just discovered it a couple of weeks ago, so it's new to me. And it was taken as Voyager 1 was flying out of our solar system, heading off to explore interstellar space. But just before that, NASA made an unplanned decision. They commanded that Voyager 1 turn around and take a photograph of our solar system. It was out by Neptune when it took this photo. It took 60 photos and created what's known as the first family portrait of our solar system. And this photo is now referred to as the pale blue dot, because as you look at it, you can see the earth in a sunbeam looking like a pale blue dot. And the famous astronomer Carl Sagan commenting on this stunning photo said, we succeeded in taking the picture. And if you look at it, you can see a dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. And on it, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever lived, lived out their lives. The aggregate of all our joys and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilizations, 
every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every hopeful child, every mother and father, every inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. I am awestruck by this photo and I am awestruck by what Carl Sagan says about it, that your life and my life, our collective humanity, we are all caught up in a story that is so much bigger than just ourselves. That we are participating in a story that is so much bigger and so much more beautiful that perhaps we stop to think about on a daily basis. That our lives are unfolding in the midst of this large, grand, beautiful story. You can go ahead and take that photo down for me. And as Paul prays, I find myself awestruck in a similar way. He says in his prayer that he wants, us, wants the eyes of our heart to have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call, what is the, the richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers. What is the, the, glor- the greatness, the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is at work in us. It's a a cosmic vision that Paul is painting. It's a soaring vision of what has happened, is happening, and what will happen through Christ. That Paul, in a way, turns around and takes a picture of our lives as they are unfolding in the midst of this grand and cosmic story. That we are caught up in a story that has, has been and continues to unfold all around us. The story of God's redemption and recreation. He says to us, the power that was at work in God, at work when God raised Jesus from the dead, that power now resides in each of us. That power unfolds in us and through us. That together we participate in this story. That we are the body of Christ, his presence in the world. That we are the tangible and physical expression of Christ and the unfolding of this grand and cosmic story. For Paul here in Ephesians, the church is not an institution, it is not a structure, it's not a building, it's not a denomination. The church is a living organism. The church is the body of Christ that is made up of its members, you and I together. That Jesus hasn't left our world, but he is still very much alive and active in it through us. To quote one scholar, in Ephesians, there is not a difference between Christ and the church. That we are literally Jesus in the world, according to Paul in this section of Ephesians. Paul says, the fullness of Christ dwells in the church. The fullness of Christ, all of who he was, all of who he is, all of who he will be, resides in us as the church. It is a grand and cosmic story. A story that is so much bigger than ourselves The redemption and the recreation of the world is a story that is so much larger than us, but it is not beyond us. Paul in Ephesians does like to soar off in his theology, and sometimes we'll have to pull him back down to earth a little bit. But here he sort of brings the message back down to our everyday reality. He says that the power, this grand story is being played out through us, that we have a part to play in this enormous story, in these purposes of God. And our purpose, the hope of our calling, the power at work in us and through us is to be the body of Christ. 
The first answer to that question, what does it mean to be Easter people? What does it mean to be people who live with a, a sense of hope and possibility to have our identity shaped by Christ's resurrection? The first answer is that we together as the church are the body of Christ. That we are Jesus in the world. And now, of course, that statement in and of itself is a tall order. Being Jesus is no simple and easy task. As Heather and I have been unpacking and getting settled into our new house, some very distinct ways have emerged about how each of us wants to make a house into a home. I have been accused before of chasing a whale instead of settling for the minnow right in front of me. That I am a dreamer, I'm full of big ideas, and I need people like my wife to pull me back down to earth sometimes. That she's looking at things like, where should the silverware go? Where should the bookshelves sit? And I'm looking at what room can I gut and renovate right away? <laughs> Heather sees all those, sma- those, those small and practical ways of making a house a home. And we balance each other out in that way. Big ideas and practical everyday concerns will help make that house into a home. The call to be Jesus in the world has both those big ideas, those chasing the whale moments, those moments where we shouldn't settle for the minnow in front of us, but also has those practical everyday concerns. It happens in ways that are big and ways that are small. To be Jesus in the world happens through those everyday, ordinary acts of love. I say it to you all every week in my benediction, that the blessing of God be with those that nobody loves. And those, that love sometimes comes from the things that we do and the things that we say. It happens in those moments where we choose to act with compassion and kindness instead of with indifference and apathy. To be Jesus in the world is, is found when we refuse to give up on hope, even when there is so much despair all around us. To be Jesus in the world is to, to reach across the boundaries of our own time that are becoming more and more reinforced in our divisive culture. It happens too when we cast grand visions of addressing the biggest issues of our world. And this has certainly been a difficult week. There has been a lot of hard news this week. An accident or not, and it may have been an accident, but accident or not, the death of Dante Wright was a tragedy. Accident or not, his death is part of a pattern that we have become far too accustomed to, where black men often don't survive stops for minor offenses. Accident or not, a family in Minnesota now has to bury someone that they loved, and the racial wound in our nation remains open and festering. And this is a week where there was yet another mass shooting, this time at a FedEx facility in Indianapolis. And nine people, including the gunmen, are dead. Another pattern that we have become far too accustomed to. And so we are reminded that the risen Christ, who appears to his disciples, shows them his scars, shows them his hands, his feet, his side. That the body of Christ, the risen body of our Lord, is one that is in touch with pain and woundedness. To be the body of Christ is to to share in the burden of the world's pain. It is to be in touch with the woundedness that is very present at this moment. And these are examples of ways, big and small, that we weave into the tapestry of God's grand story of redemption and recreation that is unfolding all around us. There's a famous quote attributed to Teresa of Avila, and we heard it just a moment ago put to song. The quote says, 
Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. You are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. So the first thing it means to be Easter people is to carry on the work that Jesus did throughout his life. It means to be his hands and his feet. It means being his compassion and his love. Because Jesus, risen and living, is active in our world through us. That we are the living Christ in this world. That we continue the ministry and the mission of Jesus right here, right now, in this neighborhood of God's kingdom. It's realizing that you and I, together as the Greenfield Presbyterian Church, can make a difference in this world in ways that are big and in ways that are small. Because each action carries significance as we together help write pieces of that story, that story of God's redemption and recreation. And we help to write that story because Christ has no body, no hands, no feet, but ours in this world. We are the ones who are Christ in this world. We are the ones who contribute to that grand story of redemption and recreation. Thanks be to God. Amen.